Hello, welcome to Gifts of the Word, Episode 3. Episode 3 already, that's awesome. It is. I'm John Hyatt. I'm Lane Delaney. Hi, Lane. Hi. (laughs) And welcome. Uh, We are so glad to be here for our third episode, and uh, through much of all of the crazy past few weeks and getting schedules together that um, we're finally able Mm -hmm. to do this. And a couple crazy weeks to come still before things quiet down, hopefully. So... Hopefully crazy weeks, or hopefully they'll quiet down. Hopefully they'll quiet down for a little bit. (laughs) That's what I'm hoping. So, excellent. Well, um, we are really thrilled to be back, Mm -hmm. and um, really thrilled by the um, download so far. Uh, We're almost at 100 for our first two episodes. Yeah, that's excellent. And we're really excited about that. Thank you to all of you for supporting us Mm -hmm. and downloading and um, sharing uh, through Facebook and other ways. our humble little podcast here. So today we would like to, uh, we have two interesting to us topics and we hope interesting to you right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that we want to bring about um, practicing our practices. So Right. Uh, the two big topics that we were, well, we were going to start off talking a little bit about divination and discussing the purposes, the uses, where it comes from, what it's for. It's an important tool in building a spiritual practice, especially one that has any kind of personal element to it. Absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of ways to practice divination, Mm -hmm. and um, divination has been something that's been really a big part of my life, or my spiritual life, since since I came to paganry and heathenism, and... uh, it's really exciting, really exciting experience. So, John, what, what is divination and how does it go? What makes it work? Well, what makes it work for me right. mm-hmm. is um, it's a connection uh, that I get when I am either in a ritual setting or a personal setting or, uh, for instance, a sage setting that um, I feel like the, the veils between this world and the worlds that our gods and goddesses inhabit kind of open up and um, I get a sense when there's this communication, this dialogue, Mm -hmm. that's not like a verbal one that we're having now, but uh, it's a soul, spiritual, sensual kind of a dialogue that Mm -hmm. imparts um, a a knowledge or a, uh, a way of seeing things differently. Um, and sometimes it just brings out what I already should know. Right. How about for you? Well, um, I look at it a lot of different ways because there are a lot of different practices that I use as divinatory practices. Um, generally, I, you know, I listen also um, when I'm in a kind of meditative space or when I feel that the gods or, or other powers are close. I try to quiet myself and listen and, and see what they might be having to say to me. I'll even reach out and ask them if they want you know, want to tell me something in, in specific. There's an aspect of communion and, and communication to it. Um, on a more practical level, what people generally think of as divination, you know, forms of sortilege, I think is the word, you know, uh, drawing runes, throwing cards, or not throwing cards, most <laughs> people don't throw cards, but, you know, uh, drawing cards, drawing cards and, doing and things spreads. like that. Um, that kind of serves the same purpose for me. And I usually use it as backup or, or um, to double check what I'm feeling intuitively. 
Um, and I also do readings for people, obviously, but that's a, that's a, that's still the same thing because when I'm doing a reading, if I'm doing a rune reading for someone, I am asking someone those questions. I'm not just saying runes, tell me what's going on. I'm saying, you know, Freya, are you willing to, to lend an opinion on this? Um, you know, Odin, Norns, is anyone willing to, to offer any opinion or, or let me know what's going on here? And when I do that, the runes are a language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a language that we have in common that I might not speak it as well as them. I might have a funny accent, but I kind of understand what's going on when it's being said. Absolutely. Um, I do readings uh, for folks as well, yeah. and I feel that exact or a very similar process that you do. And to me, it's really exciting when I'm in a divination setting for other people, the ways that the the divine, the gods, goddesses, or the Mm -hmm. spirits uh, will work through the things that I am intuitive about. Mm -hmm. They'll use images that are familiar to me or um, examples that mean something to me that may not mean something to somebody else that makes something clear. Uh, And then I can pull that out and, and, and use that to help interpret what the runes are saying for on behalf of the person that's asking the question. And I'll be honest, sometimes I say something and I'm like, is that right? I have no idea oh, yeah. what that means, but it's got to mean something to that person. Uh, and it, it's not supposed to make sense to me or to you uh, when we're reading for other people. And, and, mm-hmm. But hopefully it makes some impact on the person that uh, is receiving the, the message. That's... um. That's a quality of saith or, or spow, depending on which word you're using for it on a given day, um, that I find is really important is uh, when I'm in the when I'm in that space and when I'm in that kind of trance, there are there are things that will cross my mind to say. And I, I have to be careful about where they're coming from, whether they're coming from the visions or whether they're coming from my own opinions on the visions. Because when I say what I see, um, as much as it might not make sense to me, and as much as a part of me still wants to try and make sense to it, <laughs> it usually makes more sense to the person that I'm speaking to. When I try and interpret it while I'm seeing it, it always falls flat. Um, a lot of people who do divination for a living or who do a lot of divina- divinatory work for their communities will emphasize that those filters, those filters just get in the way. And being able to drop those filters—that's that's one of the reasons that I actually like doing, uh, doing that kind of uh, oracular work—is because it is easiest for me to completely sh- shove those filters aside in that setting. If I'm reading runes for someone, I'll look up at their face. I'll be concerned about what's going on around me. It's it's hard to have that same level of space and direct connection. And uh, but at the same time, it's still valuable because you can't just drop. You know, you can't just um, sit down, grab your staff, and and take off. I mean, well, you can, but um, it takes more preparation and work, and I think that's part of the, the reason that I get that value out of it is that I can draw runes from a bag at any point. I, I can't just sit down and go on a journey at any point. And sometimes it's not safe to just sit down and go on a journey at any this point. This is also true, <laughs> yeah. I would hate to see someone trying to do that at a bus stop or something. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But runes are uh, a great divination tool because... um, But John, John, runes aren't supposed to be used for divination. Don't you know? No, I don't. Explain. Well, yes, they're 
strictly an alphabet or they're strictly a magical alphabet. Now, listeners, John knows me. Um, I'm feeling really sarcastic tonight. So <laughs> please bear with what I'm saying. I'll generally explain it. But I will say that for me, at least foremost, they are a magical alphabet. They're a, a series of, of symbols of power. But also at the same time, that's the reason that they're such great divination tools, because they represent such po- and encapsulate such powerful concepts. And, well, that's why, you know, uh, a lot of people, there are people who don't feel that uh, runes should be used for divination, uh, but they work really well, don't they? I think they do. I think that, uh, especially the more, the longer that I've been working with the runes and the more relationship I've been gaining with them, especially now that I've been reading for people on a more regular basis and more often, I'm starting to see that the runes the runes are have way much more than just othala means home well yeah mm-hmm. or fehu means cattle uh there's there's a lot more there's so many multi layers about it and the image that comes to my mind right now is an iceberg i mean mm-hmm. fehu means cattle is what you see above the water and there's so much more below there that adds so much more richness to the rune and to the power that is behind it that it really expands what we can learn uh from a reading or a divination time mm-hmm. when we're re- when we're receiving uh that work either through ourselves or through someone else working with us and that's why i think it i feel that it's really important to have an intuitive connection to the rune or to the runes in general and spend a lot of time on them and a lot of time getting to know them and getting to know the different ways they express and the different things that they express. Because if you're just going with, you know, with your example of Fehu means cattle, you're you're only going to get some very straightforward readings, but you lose a lot of accuracy and uh, nuance that way. Mm-hmm. Nuance is really important. And one of the things that I've noticed about runes that are... Um, so beautiful is the different nuances that keep Mm -hmm. going um it's hard to get very specific because there are so many different layers um but there's a lot of specific specific items that you can learn as well yeah so yeah that's that's runes and uh it's just really cool it's um really an amazing thing especially if you start moving into bind runes and uh build making talismans out of uh, oh yeah uh, runes or making even um um a bind rune for your name um it, an abuse it's really cool to see that it, it kind of becomes a part of you yeah uh and you know i think we should have an episode about that just about that kind of work and that just about that kind of thing um i'm sure we will <laughs> so do you have any specific feelings when dealing with runes that any any way that dealing with runes feel very different from other forms of divination for you, like I know you work with Tarot and with I think Lenormand. Um, no, not specifically Tarot. Oh, okay. Um, um, I've tried learning Tarot. It's very difficult for me. Okay. So same here. A little actually. bit a little bit confusing for me. Um, my partner is really good with Tarot, mm-hmm. and I've learned so much from him. But still, it's uh, not something that I can grasp my brain around. But uh, I do do other forms of oracles okay um and what i find uh and i am 
learning Lenormand um, because I think Lenormand's a really neat uh, system. Mm -hmm. um, but what I think about um, runes is what what I enjoy about the runes is it's yeah. it's the connection to the cultural aspects well, of yeah. my heritage, mm -hmm. uh, and that and as I'm uh, learning more, or as I continue to work with them, I'm starting to see aspects of the gods and goddesses come through the runes more. Mm -hmm. People have told me things before, like, oh, Ansu's represents Odin, and um, right. I'm like, okay, yeah, but now I'm starting to see some layers and some uh, other things in the runes that are really interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really kind of cool because, um, thanks to you, actually, I've started... Um, almost every day galdering the entire Futhark right. uh, on my way to work. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been really cool to feel that. And I noticed that in doing that, um, uh, the gods have opened up some insight on some things. That's good. Uh, just by driving to work, which was really cool. So that to me is kind of a divination practice right there or um, almost a meditative practice. Uh, oh, and, you know, the line between divination and meditation is really where you decide to draw it. Yes. Uh, and, of course, that depends on the kind of meditation. But if you're doing the sort of meditation that opens you up, well, if you're opening yourself up, then you can expect to be getting something. And, yes. again, similar purposes to uh, to divination. So, so some really cool things have started opening up uh, mm -hmm. about runes. And um, I'm still working some of them out and seeing how they interact with each other. But... It's uh, really interesting. So with these uh, with these sorting styles of divination, like runes or tarot or other things like that, we're picking from a specific language. Mm -hmm. uh, we're drawing from a specific set of symbols that, while the symbols may encompass a whole lot of different things, overall they're very... Uh, they, they, we have a specific diction to work with, and we don't really go too far outside of that. And... You know, we were talking about doing Sathe or, or Spau, depending, again, on, on which word you're using for it. And let me just clarify on that. From my understanding and from my own reading and from what I understand from lore and from talking to people and working with people, uh, Sathe, the term, a lot of people will disagree with my usage of it, but I the catch-all term that I use for Sathe is Norse witchcraft. Now, a lot of people will say that that's trolldom. Um you know, uh, which is, I believe, an Icelandic and uh, origin, uh, term and origin. But the fact is that the things that are attested to save workers in the lore and the sagas are pretty much, they pretty much fit in with what you call witchcraft in most traditional societies. Flying by night, seeing the future, which, you know, is what, mm -hmm. we're, what we're getting at here, but uh, manipulating people's minds, messing with the weather with animals things like that all of those kind of fall into or are described as being things that that save save workers do and also kind of fall into our modern term of witchcraft now the term spow um and that's the one pronunciation that i know of it but i'm sure there are other ones from other places spelled s-p-a-e comes i believe from the same root as to spy or to see uh, spow is specifically when you are doing oracular work. And there are a lot of different ways that it's done. Most of the modern methods of oracular spow are based around the fourth chapter of the Eric the Red Saga, where the uh, the vulva comes to town and 
they have to set everything up with uh, up for her so we've got ver- some very specific images yeah the cat skin gloves, cat skin gloves. <laughs> um a long staff with a brass knob on top a high seat with chicken feather pillows um things like that and of course the warding songs the the songs because singing was an important part of that practice love singing we don't have a lot of other specifics on how other people did their did their save work and given that Saith workers did see the future, we can assume, or at least I use spow as a subset of the, the overall term Saith, but I just wanted to explain the difference and uh, the connections to people as well. And so generally when you hear people saying that they're going to be doing Saith, it generally means that they're going to be doing oracular work, um, or Norse oracular work or yeah. spow. So, um, and that as a form of divination like I said before, is something that really, it's been a powerful practice to me, and I think it's really interesting. Um, what are your experiences? Is there anything you'd like to share about it? Uh, well, actually, my experiences with SPAO are recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been training um, with my Gidia, um, Birgit, for about two years now, and mm-hmm. we finally started able to, um, sitting in the seat yeah. uh, recently, and that's been a great experience. Um, I have, in other settings, done very similar work. Right. Um, but I didn't really know it was called spow then. Yeah. Or nor was I in a situation where I was specifically going for that reason. Um, the gods have and goddesses have often um, chosen to speak through me, mm-hmm. and sometimes in a ritual setting or or in a public setting in that format. Right. Um, and I let them because I trust them. Mm-hmm. So, um, but not so much as in a specific high seat setting. But for me, it's a so far it's been a great experience because uh, I love the connection of allowing and speaking directly with the gods and goddesses and 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 um, making myself available to to work with them in that in that setting. Mm-hmm. So many years ago, I had a friend uh, who. Well, we were, we shared a mutual interest having read about Saith, and we didn't have the resources available, or at least we didn't know where to look for the resources. Even I, back then, we didn't even know, you know, the the concept of lore with a capital L. We were still Llewellyn pagans in a lot of ways, um, and so we were fascinated with Saith, and we wanted to try and figure out what it was, and we had something we did that really wasn't really didn't fit well with it, but it was a kind of Norsey mediumship. Uh-huh. Um, more recently, about five or six years ago, I had some practice and I had some training and I've just been doing stuff since then. You know, I really appreciate the opportunity to do it because it's something, first off, it feels good to do something that you're good at. And I've been told I'm good at it. Um, a, a high compliment paid by a dear friend was you do spooky well. <laughs> And, uh, that is a good compliment. Yeah, she calls it being spooky. <laughs> uh, she calls Saith being spooky. And um, But uh, not only that, but I think it's useful, and I think that there's a... Well, obviously, you and I wouldn't be having this discussion or doing this show if we didn't think that um, Heathenry needed a few more kooky and spiritual voices. And it's it's on the kooky and spiritual end of our practices, let's be completely honest. That it is, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, I think we do need this type of stuff what and for you lane that you've been doing active spa yeah train for five or six years you said and 
what makes you interested in it other than that that you're obviously good at it but why um i mean why am i why was i interested in the first place yeah uh i I don't want to say what's in it for you but what's in it for you (laughs) um so more like and i don't mean it like you're selfish but you know well no this is is that's fine i mean it's okay to have personal motivations for doing stuff like that or being interested in stuff like that for me it comes it came from a similar place that a lot of my desire to investigate or places that my desire to desire to investigate occult or spiritual practices came from on the one hand ever since i was a kid i felt um i'm trying to think of a good way to put it i i've felt things and i've seen things and i didn't know how to deal with it and i knew i knew somewhere in some of those practices there would be things that would help me deal with those things um and i found some you know and and um, that kind of work, both on a personal and community level, is helpful. The other thing is, is John, you know, it's neat. Um, it is. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it is. You know, just how other people geek out about, um, you know, their favorite shows or geek out about science or geek out about whatever their specialty, whatever their point of excitement is. For me, this sort of practice has always been one of the things that I felt excited geeking out about because it's fascinating to me. And it's really neat when you do stuff and stuff happens. It's really amazing when you do a session and you think you're doing some kind of meta, you're, you're describing what you're seeing and you think it's some kind of complicated metaphor for something. And you talk to the person afterwards and they're like, nope, that happened. That was a thing that happened in my life, scene for scene. It's one of those things that kind of rocks you back on your feet. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit of a, a you know, bit of an excitement junkie when it comes to that kind of thing and a little bit fascinated when it comes to that sort of thing also um so so yeah i have a facility with it it's one of the tools that's helped me learn how to deal with uh with my perceptions and with how i interact with the world and it's also really cool so i agree with you there and for our listeners, mm-hmm. um, there may be people out there who are experiencing those types of things where they're feeling like, oh my gosh, I, I feel this spiritual tap on my shoulder when I'm in ritual or meditation. Mm-hmm. And um, what are some ways that we can encourage them, do you think, especially from your first experience where you didn't kind of know what's well, going on? But um, So say this part of that, but that's not the whole of it for me. Yeah. Um are you asking how people could learn more about it? Yes. Okay. Well, there are a bunch of books on the subject. Yes, there are. Not, I haven't read a lot of them. Um, I've read the ones that have been pertinent to the practice that I've had. For instance, I, you know, Diana Paxson's Transportation. Transportation. We all know. Yeah. Uh, Transportation, as far as I could tell, was based off of Profnar's style of save with all of the... Um, the the Norse letters filed off, basically, mm-hmm. but they put them in the book anyway. <laughs> so it's not Sathe. It's just basic oracular practice that can be applied to anything, but it's not very far from what's done that's called Sathe or Spow yeah. also. I've, so that's, and that's I mean, what we used when I was pra- um, learning, and it's mm-hmm. a really interesting book. And um, and even if one doesn't go into Sathe um, mm-hmm. per se... There's a lot about 
meditation and journeying that's yeah. very useful to um, folks and helpful in um, making the most out of a meditative journey. And you were saying what you do about those tappings on your shoulder. Meditation comes to mind for me because a regular meditative practice is one of the most important tools that you can have in learning to well learning personal discernment figuring out what's your voice versus what the other voices are and sharpening the senses that you need to sharpen to get a better grasp on what is tapping you on the shoulder and why it might be doing so mm -hmm. um and the other side of that practice honestly these are the two big building blocks as far as i'm concerned of any sort of spirit working type thing is um regular regular focused meditative type practice and offerings and devotion uh, you reach out to the beings, you give them things, you talk to them, and you see what happens, because they will respond. Sometimes they'll respond by telling you to leave them alone. Um, <laughs> this has happened more often than not in my life, but then you find the ones who really want to talk to you, yeah. and they never leave you alone, especially once you start giving them things. Once you start so, building that relationship exactly, with them. Exactly, building a relationship. Yeah, yeah. One of the books that I'm currently reading is called Says... Uh, the Gate is Open by Katie Gerard. Cool. Uh, I, I know I've asked you about it, and you said you haven't read it yet. No, I haven't. Um, I think I'm about three quarters or a, half the way through the book or, mm -hmm. or so, and uh, I find it quite interesting. Um, um, a lot of the practices are what we're already, what I'm already familiar with, but right. it's nice to see uh, other people doing them and, mm -hmm. and, and putting it into a, a great resource that's available, and it is available um, as an e-book e or, or a hard copy book as well. So, those, yeah, those are just some things that I thought, you know, our our listeners might benefit from is uh, how to find it. Cause let's face it, it's it's not easy to find a safe group to practice. That's a problem. Uh, or to do workshops with a, on a regular basis, and this is something that takes some time to get used to and to, and to go through. It, it really does, and it really should. I'm going to be honest. You can read a book, but it's really helpful. No, it's not really helpful. You need somebody there for a while. It's imperative, I yeah, think. Yeah, you, you really need someone to pass some of the practice on to you and to connect with you. And I know that that's difficult for a lot of people, but if you're called to do this kind of work and you know the gods and powers want you to or you really want to and you beg them for it, you know, ways will be opened. Ways were opened for me. I was fascinated with it many, many years ago, and I wanted to learn about it. And I eventually ended up in the right place in the right time with the right motivation and, and you know, have taken off since then. That happened so, for me too, Lane. Um, as I was, like I said, you know, I've been open to the gods and goddesses before and mm -hmm. not really knowing or having any specific training, um, but thinking, I trust them, so I'm going to let them speak through me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually, you know, I, I became part of the, the kindred that I'm a part of, and uh, there was um, um, my Gidea, who, who was trained and mm -hmm. had done it before, and yeah. she was waiting to be able to pass that on to somebody, to other people, and to build a safe group, That's or a spay group. So, um, yeah, it worked out great, and I think patience is very important for yeah. folks. Um, do read and learn. Right. Yeah. Uh, meditate and practice. And when you get a chance to uh, attend uh, a workshop or attend an event like Pantheacon, which we right. recently mm -hmm. were, there's 
opportunities to meet folks and build um, physical relationships with people right uh, to be able to carry over into the spiritual realm as well yeah and honestly um for any of the listeners if anyone is interested in this kind of practice um if they email us i can at least look around and see if there's anyone in their your area because there just might be be surprised where where some of the safe gonna hang out and and you know the u.s and canada so um yeah keep that in mind if that's something that that interests you and you are looking for other people absolutely yeah so divination often involve divination or you know related like oracular practices often involves us well finding information that we didn't have before and sometimes that information revolves around you know the deities and powers that we work with and nowadays we have words for that um there are other ways to get to get to those words too, but uh, UPG is a common term that's used, unverifiable or unverified or unvalidated. I don't know, use something, personal <laughs> gnosis. Gnosis is a Greek word that means knowledge, to know something. And, uh, you know, also in, in heathenry, um, there's another term that's often used as synonymous, which is MUS or made up shit, um, which is the suggestion that if somebody didn't get it out of, uh, if it's not in Havamal, it can't be real. Yeah. Um, you know, my opinions on that too, and I'm not going to bother being sarcastic because it just might be lost on the audience and, and I'm not feeling as snarky as I was 15 minutes ago, but, um, <laughs> but I think that in the development of a living spiritual practice, paying attention to the, that gnosis, to those, those bits of knowledge that we receive is really important. I do think lore is really important. Also, I love reading old, I love reading old Norse stuff. I love reading different translations. You know, I can't read old Norse myself, unfortunately, but I like reading different translations and comparing them and asking people who can actually read the original, what, what each word means and things like that. I think it's really important to have a ba for, as a basis for practice and a, as a basis for understanding. And I think that a lot of the negativity towards the concept of UPG came from the fact that with the rise of Wiccan style, not specifically Wiccan, but Wiccan style eclectic paganism, um, with the concept of all gods are one god, all goddesses are one goddess, uh, and kind of mixing of cultures a lot of important values and ideas were lost to the point where you know you'll see attributions in books for gods that we know that that really you know kind of blow our minds like um oh, a good one was uh i was looking through a, a copy of to ride a silver broomstick which at one point in my life i did own um <laughs> and uh you know was a step in my journey but uh they they call freya moon or she calls freya moon goddess and there's just, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's like one of those, where do you even get that from? Right. Yeah. They don't understand that, um, Mani is the moon God and right. Yeah. It's, um, so I think that personally, I think that the, the backlash against Gnosis against personal spiritual understanding comes from that dilution that occurred in, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, when eclectic paganism shared a lot of information. So yeah, and it's I think it's um easy for those things to happen because we're in an age where printing became so available oh, yeah. and people got excited about 
the resurgence of, of the pre-Christian ways yeah. and trying to bring that into a modern context. And, mm-hmm. and I think what I think what happened was a lot of noses started getting shared and it just kind of got confused and, yeah. and people got excited and, and, and learning new things. I mean, what's not to like about Freya? Right, of I course. Mean, she is she's pretty awesome, and when people started learning about her, uh, I'm sure they wanted to apply those attributes to what they were practicing, and that's probably how that happened. But when it comes to Gnosis, uh, I believe, uh, th- and we talked about this off-air, that yeah. Gnosis is very valid in our practice today. And um, it may not be something that all people think works for them but uh if it's working for you and your relationship to your god or goddess um unless it's ask causing you to harm people or do things really kind of crazy then um, it's can really be a valuable source for you um to build that relationship mm-hmm. for instance uh sure. like saying that the gods like coffee yeah yeah <laughs> we've seen that a lot so you know the um thor likes coffee Coffee is the drink of strong men, you know, who who do lots of work. And Thor, you know, that's that's how Thor is. Nobody nobody really nowadays argues that Thor likes coffee, um, but you know, a lot of but, people think that Odin likes coffee too. And it's not in the lore. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, obviously <laughs> not. They're, you know, they we don't have caches. We have not found caches of uh, Viking coffee beans. Yes. Uh, buried in archaeological digs, and um, it's sure not mentioned in the lore. And uh, Freya and chocolate is the other one that I like to bring up, is I don't know if Freya's person out there who who won't say that chocolate is a worthy gift for her. Yes. But they did not have cocoa beans um, back then, you know, yeah. um, or at least not in that region. Not in that region, for chocolate sure. Chocolate wasn't a thing. No, so. it was not. And it's not, and it, even then, it wasn't a thing in South America that we've made it out today, so... Yeah, absolutely. Chocolate was very different. So, what we're saying uh, is... Listen to your noses, and the way to verify it is is to see if it's consistent with the gods and goddesses that you're working with, I think, and um, seeing that it improves your relationship and improves your practice. Well, I think there are a bunch of ways to do that. I think consistency, what you were talking about with consistency, is very important. Uh, your life's your own laboratory, mm-hmm. and you can, you know, it, in um, in science, you're looking for repeatable results, and... Well, it's very difficult to get repeatable results from gods in a standard-style laboratory. It's not really all that difficult in your life. And uh, so consistency is very important. Another thing that I think is important is knowing other people. Because the problem is, when you're by yourself, and you're talking to, to the spirits or powers or what have you, and you have no one else to bounce this off of, you're going to make a lot of you're going to build castles in in your head and a lot of them may end up being just in your head and not Mm. in the sky community really is important especially having people who've dealt with this sort of thing who have some sort of knowledge of technique and having and their own spiritual tech that's been developed because and this isn't from the perspective of you know you need a priest to guide you or you you know you need a pope to guide you no but you do need experts and you do need people who are familiar with with working with um with non-physical people um to help you make sure that you're just not going off the deep end in one way or the other it's really helpful one of the things that i do is when if a deity tells me something that i don't 
I'm having trouble hearing or I'm having trouble believing, I go to friends. I go to other people who I know uh, practice similar things to me. I ask them for divination. I ask them to try and speak to the deity themselves. I try and see what other people get off of this and, you know, kind of triangulate it and figure out if, if I'm in the right area or if I'm completely off base because I've been completely off base before and completely misunderstood what was coming through. And that's great advice. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of folks uh, and a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are, are very solitary in practice. It's true. Uh, unfortunately, out of not choice. Yeah. Um, some people live in areas where there's just very few people of a similar practice so it's kind of hard to find that but we do have a wonderful gift of uh well a gift with a double-edged sword of facebook and oh, yeah. mm -hmm. internet and things like that so so there's a lot of ways to uh reach out to people and and have those discussions yeah and uh there's a lot of books written and mm -hmm. through the beauty of a to z there is um Plenty of places to get books and resources and uh, organizations that have um, people that that one can bounce things off of. Some some great things. Uh, and can you uh, give some examples of organizations like that? Well, um, there is the Troth. Uh, That's true. Is one. Uh, and there's a lot of great um, scholars and people who have done a lot of study uh, in the Troth. Uh, but we're not just talking about study here. We're talking about people who can well, yeah. help you either verify or or put put to proof your gnosis. Sure, and there's a lot of folks that have those experiences. So, That's true. Uh, throughout there, mm -hmm. and um, and study is a great way to to start with that. But well, there's yeah. a lot of and people that just share their their experiences. Uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, that's the main one that I'm aware of. Are you aware of any? There's no. Um, I've got networks. I yeah. have I have diviners networks that you know, and it's nothing official. It's not like we've got a secret handshake. It's just like right. oh, I know so and so, and she knows so and so, and yeah. she knows so and so. So you know, uh, I'll I'll go to so and so to have my uh, you know have her read my tea leaves about a particular situation, yeah. and in exchange, you know, she knows that I'm going to be doing you know I'll read runes for her sometime yeah. down the way. You know, and that that's a good way to build, honestly, is on a low community level. It doesn't even need to be physical. A lot of the people that I go to for this kind of work are, are online and the internet makes a wonderful tool for that too. You know, you can you can do divination for folks over Skype or even over Facebook Messenger. I've done this before. So. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, another organization is ADF, aren't they? Fame. Oh, of course. There is a I miss that. Yeah, I know. I was just um, as you started speaking, uh, yeah. they have a very big uh, a very large contingency of heathens and yep. Germanic practitioners mm -hmm. and, and Saxon practitioners and uh, there is a uh, the Urglawa community in the on the East Coast that's in Pennsylvania true. that's um, working through that um, uh, there's all sorts of other networks and then there's um, festivals and conventions yeah. that one can go to where, where people can meet those if they're convenient, mm -hmm. such as Pantheacon, which we just recently attended together. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, embrace your gnosis, get your gnosis checked. Um, it's, I guess it's kind of like having a, you know, a physical, you know, having a physical or, or, you know, getting, getting your car checked when the, when the, one of the little lights goes on, it's important to keep an eye on it and see if there's anything alarming to go talk to other people and, and get a balance. But remember, your gnosis is your experiences. What What is in the Eddas? What's in the ancient poetry that we have? 
regarding the gods and the other powers was somebody else's experience. It's probably a whole lot of people's experience that got filtered into various songs and poems and eventually written down. All of these filters between them and whoever it was who first felt that red gold presence and decided to call it the lady. Mm -hmm. And so while the lore is important as a basis and to understand where you're coming from, if an experience doesn't seem to be meshing with the lore, that doesn't mean it's wrong or not happening either. Um, because this stuff affects your life. When you start... I mean, the, I I have been at a point in my life where I understand why some heathens say you don't want to deal with the gods directly as a person, you know, only as communities, because it can be frightening and it can change, it will change things for you if you put any kind of serious direction on it or seriously work towards it. Um, so this is real stuff and this is real stuff that will affect you. So just because something doesn't show up in the Eddas and it's happening to you, doesn't mean that it's not for reals but that's why it's good to have friends and other people that you can go to to check you know help check your results absolutely uh, just like we have a, a physical community of people of like-minded interests that we go to when right. we talk about things uh, uh, we should do that in our spiritual community mm -hmm. and um, make sure that um, you know we're not doing things right, but that we're, 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 we're in a good place and that things are that's resonating well with that. So it's always mm -hmm. good to do that. So greater communities. And it's so, it's so great to be able to have, um, great resources, uh, and they don't have to be physically nearby, which right. is the beauty of things. So, and speaking of good communities, um, something that you brought up, you brought up ADF and I realized we hadn't decided to talk about this, but we, the Coast Oak Grove recently held a disablot for uh, the Vernal Equinox. Vernal is spring? Yes, Vernal, Vernal is spring. Vernal is spring. Okay. I always <laughs> get the mix up. Well, I don't, I don't say autumnal for spring, but sometimes I say vernal for autumn for what for no good reason. But uh, yeah, we held a disablot, and I think it went really well. The omens were really good. Um, disablot is where you uh, where you make sacrifices as a community to the to the and ask them to bless you and re you and your community in return. And uh, we had some really positive results. Uh, you know, the person who was drawing omens for it asked if the DC were pleased with our offering, and the very first thing that she drew was Fehu. That was pretty cool. That's about that's <laughs> one of the best circum one of the best runes you could draw for something like that. Absolutely. And um, yeah, so that was a powerful ritual, and it's just a reminder that ADF does have have its heathen elements and Norse and heathen groups within it too. Yeah, don't. Uh, it, it's it can be a misnomer to because it's called the Druid, right, right, yeah, um, religion. But um, it's not Celtic only. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, there's a great Celtic group of people, but there's uh, also a great Hellenic group, a Roman group, and the the Germanic and heathen group is really uh, vibrant. And, oh yeah, um, a lot of great gnosis going around there as well. Yeah, a lot of great shared and have some great stuff going on. That's one of the things I do like about ADF is that while they are very staunch on the importance of lore, as long as you know your lore, you are free to talk about your gnosis too. Um, and I think that's a really positive thing. And so, hey, we have we just talked about a vernal equinox celebration that we had. We've got one upcoming, don't we? What's going on? 
Well, we do. The um, third annual SoCal Ostaramut will be happening on the, the weekend of the 27th of March. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're really excited about that. It will be, again, as I said, it's our third annual. Uh, it's hosted by the Kindred of the Northern Hammer. Right. And uh, we're going to have some saith, some several um, really great bloats. Mm -hmm. uh, I know there's a Freya, an Odin bloat, I believe a Thor bloat. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure who else is promising. Uh, we are going to have a saith workshop. Mm -hmm. and, and we're going to be doing spow or say that evening. Yeah, so absolutely. that's really exciting. Um, yeah, um, we're going to have uh, Diana and Lori are coming down for it. Um, so if you're in the area, you know, don't miss it because there are going to be a lot of cool people there, and there's going to be a lot of good stuff going on. Do you think you could link it, uh, link the Facebook event to our website I and will. to the Facebook page? Good. Yeah. So we can so. You, as listeners, if anyone's anywhere in the Southwest and interested in showing up, it would be really great to have you. And well, We really need you to contact quickly because yeah. it does start on Friday night. That's true. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so in order to be able to make the proper reservations, one would have to uh, contact um, the organizer fast. Now, what's the name of the place it's being held at again? Yeah, it's being held at the Oaks at Sacred Rocks in Boulevard, which is an hour east of San Diego, California. Okay. So, and we'll probably do a quick brief, uh, or quick and brief are kind of the same thing. We'll be doing a little wrap up next time uh, mm -hmm. oh, about yeah, sure. that. We'll talk about we'll talk about that because uh, the cool thing is, is we have a high seat for our. We save. do. Uh, we'd like to thank. Um, Mike for um, building that for us uh, with his hands and it's it's made out of birch and he worked really hard on it and right. we just really appreciate that. Yeah, we are we are super excited about this. Um, this is something that's been in the planning for at least three months now, um, three or four months now, talking about getting, you know, since I moved here and, and started talking to people in the kindred here. Uh, talking about putting together and and doing safe publicly, and we've been doing private practice together, and we're we're going to be pulling out the actual chair that's been made. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Mike. That's it's so amazing that it's it's a really clever chair too. I, I like it. It's you can take it down for travel and put it back together, and and it's very solid, which is good because I'm going to be sitting in it. Yes. So um, and this is a culmination of uh, Kindred Northern Hammers. Um, says work practicing uh, right yeah. I mean, we've been we've been working towards this for two and a half years now mm -hmm. so we're really excited about that as well that's great yeah so um other than that i'm not sure that there's uh, any other festivals or um big events coming up but uh if you have an event coming up and you want us to uh, maybe talk about it then let us know uh, we'd also like to um, extend an invitation to um, heathen musicians if yep. you have some music that we can um, play as an intro or an outro. We love using Wardruna, but we are legally bound to only use so many seconds of Wardruna. Actually, and this is Hagalaz Rune Dance. Oh, oh, sorry, Hagalaz Rune <laughs> We haven't That's broken into Wardruna yeah, yet. Yeah, <laughs> not yet, not yet. And they're wonderful, but we would like um, smaller-scale heathen musicians to have the opportunity to play as well and to be able to share their music. And we might actually be able to share whole songs that way, too. If you give us permission, we can. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, also uh, publications. If you've got a book coming out, let us know. We can read it and rant about it on the air. 
Wait, that doesn't sound as positive as I wanted it to. We can read it and review it on the air and discuss it. Absolutely. Um, there is... Was there anything else there about, about publication? Oh, yeah, the prayer card project. Um, yeah, that's right. So Galina Kreskova um, creates, uh, through pa- uh, pagan authors, uh, various, pa- uh, various pagan artists, rather, she creates a series of prayer cards that are kind of like... You know what we know of Catholic prayer cards. It's got an image of the deity on on the front, and it has a prayer to the deity on the back. They're beautiful. They are. They're absolutely stunning. They are, and they're they're so evocative. And while I do like reproductions of ancient images, I really like modern dynamic style images of our deities as well. I do too, because um, that's a way for us to express our visions of the deities, um, much like they like those artists did then those Mm -hmm. were all contemporary images based on their experiences and their culture and how they viewed men women bodies and and spirit yeah Uh, now we we have this opportunity to also share those images that that are coming through us yeah uh about and and how the gods and goddesses have likely evolved over the centuries and the reason this came up now is she very recently released a card for ingvi frey and a card for niorth and, and I've been wanting a New York card for a long, long time. So I'm glad it came around to that. And it's beautiful. Both of them are gorgeous. I mean, she's got all of the all of the named Vanir that we're sure about other than Nos and Gersimi. Um, although I should suggest that, shouldn't I? A um, card for Nos and Gersimi. Galena, consider this suggested. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, and uh, she has a beautiful one for Gareth. Yes, um, absolutely stunning, and a couple for Freya, a couple for Odin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Norns has a, have have their own card. She has so many Odins and so many Lokis. It's it's amazing, and all of uh, Frigga and all of her handmaidens. She even sells Frigga and all of her hand her her handmaidens as, as a, a set. set. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the cards I think run for about four dollars each. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, they're discounts if you buy more. And they're yeah, and they're really they're really cool. And the prayers are, are contemporary prayers mm-hmm. uh, by by various authors. Right, uh, and and uh, the artists I think are different as well. Yeah, um, she has a stable of some that do more. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you happen to be in connection with other pantheons such as Greek or. Uh, oh, she's Celtic. got Greek she's and got Celtic. Some. She's got some Babylonian and Assyrian. Yeah. And the thing is, because she is she's uh, devoted to many deities and devoted to helping to create modern polytheism as its own thing, um, you can suggest deities to her. You know, petition for deities to be made, and she'll go about getting that set up. You know, these require donations. It's not for free, and it's not it's not easy. They they yeah. have to be put together. But, you know, a few hundred dollars worth of donations, actually, she manages to collect the money for, for them pretty pretty quickly. And then there's a beautiful product that you can place on your shrine or, you know, keep in your wallet or share. Um, and these are know, good yeah. quality cards. They're yeah. glossy cards. They're on good cardstock. Uh, it's not a piece of paper that was printed on a printer and sent out to you. So um, it's really good quality. And part and of the stuff. thing that excites me about it is that it's pagan artists getting money for, for, for making pagan art for the gods you know i mean i I think that's really cool yeah so absolutely we'll include a link on on our um there will be a link on the um the podbean and uh um speaking of that um i'm gonna just talk real quick about a pagan lenormand set that i've viking Viking lenormand Lenormand that i found Mm -hmm. 
we mentioned Lenormand earlier. Lenormand yeah. is a is, is a system. I won't go into it, but I did find a Viking Lenormand. Okay. Uh, the artist is Carol Beasley. She's out mm-hmm. of Australia, and um, she's worked with Lenormand. And she thought that she would just um, get into her roots, mm-hmm. and she created with colored pencil all of these gorgeous. Um, they are beautiful uh, drawings that go with all of the Lenormand cards. Uh, based on the Viking era of people. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're absolutely beautiful. Uh, they are fairly representative of the of the culture and also connect to the, the meanings of the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, and there will be a link as well to that. Uh, the set of 36 cards plus four additional. There's an extra man, an extra woman for uh, those who would like to read for same-sex couples. Yeah. There's a uh, a cat card and there's an extra child card uh, that you can um, use as you need to. So the set of 40 cards I think re- runs for around $15, which mm-hmm. is really a good price yeah. for a beautiful set. Comes in a hard case and it's got um, uh, the Helm of Awe on the back. Well, now I feel like we're heathen QVC, don't you? I do too, yeah. but that's okay. No, it's it's we're talking about things that we're excited about, you know. And, and uh, if, I honestly think these projects, you know, are, are valuable and. Mm-hmm. And we want to we want to share that um, yeah. and encourage folks to to put the stuff out there. Otherwise, um, we don't we don't get these great things because uh, we've got to support our local folks. So um, let's get into a rune poll. And wow, <laughs> Lane polled. Tiwas. Tiwas. That is really cool. So why don't you give me your impression, Jan? First. Well, Tiwaz is uh, represents the god Tyr, mm-hmm. uh, justice uh, and sacrifice, mm-hmm. and um, we're talking about divination and um, modern practices today. Gnosis, mm-hmm. I think, um, in relationship to that, sometimes when it comes, especially to divination and gnosis, both we have to sacrifice a little bit of ourselves. Hmm. Um, when it comes to gnosis, we might have to sacrifice some pride, uh, or we might have to sacrifice um, uh, being thinking that there's only one way to do something and being willing open to uh, other options mm-hmm. uh, to do that. And when it comes to divination, of course, uh, we're sacrificing a little bit of our autonomy when we open ourselves up to the gods and goddesses to let those messages flow through us. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah, Tyr, uh, the rune, Tiwaz and Tyr, are, uh, is often associated with justice and rightness as well. You know, it's used, magically it's used for things like legal matters and, and trying to trying to find justice or trying to find the correct thing. Mm-hmm. And beware, if you want Tiwaz in your life, better, uh, especially about a legal matter, make sure that you have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted because... Um, it's about rightness. But also pertinent to our discussion about divination and gnosis, uh, the Anglo-Saxon rune, rune poem, I always like that one too because it connects it to uh, Tyr to a guiding star. Tyr is a guiding star, well keeps faith, with princes it is on course, over the mists of night never failing. It's the rightness. It's, uh, I mean, as much as Rytho is rightness as well, uh, Tyr is a guiding principle and, and light also. And that's one of the things that we look towards and we're looking for in divination. We're looking for that guiding light. We're looking for 
We are looking to see a thing through the mists that will guide us through it, through them with safety. That's Our own cool. little personal lighthouse. That's so. awesome. So great stuff. Absolutely. So folks, uh, I think with that, we're at about an hour mm -hmm. and we will um, wrap it up here. Yeah. We really thank you for listening to us. If you would like to email us, you can email us at giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will be posting this on Podbean and we hope that you will share it and uh, give us some feedback. Yeah, actually, we'd really like to get some feedback, so that would be good. You know, let us know what you like. Let us know if there's a topic you'd want us you want us to touch on. Especially about that. Yeah. yeah. That'd be great. And don't don't be afraid that it might be too weird for us. We are called gifts of the weird after all. For a reason. <laughs> yes, for many reasons. So yeah, absolutely. We are the heathens your Gothi warned you about. So. <laughs> um, you found a way to throw that in there. Great. I did. Excellent. I did. Excellent. I'm proud of myself. You should so, be. well, thank you very much for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Um, want to wish you all well and hope to hear from you at some point and hope that you return to our next podcast. We'll be releasing one in April. Yeah, absolutely. We will. We're not quite sure of the topic yet. Um, oh, you can, um, I did set up a Twitter account, mm -hmm. Weird Gifts, W-Y-R-D-G-I-F-T-S, or at Weird Gifts, and um, follow it. And um, we'll try to post um, what's coming up on podcasts once we get things lined up. And we are trying to line up some guests, and uh, we'll have some discussions that way. We have guests. We just have scheduling issues. So yes. <laughs> we'll figure that out. And a little bit of technical issue. We're still working that part out. Yeah. But... Uh, and we'll try to follow that through. Uh, it's a good way to um, post some questions or, um, yeah, if you have a question mm -hmm. or uh, you want us to um, follow up on some other things, please let us know. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. Hail. Be yeah. well. <laughs>